0: Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. On this episode, we are visiting with one of our friends to the north, Uh, in Canada, British Columbia specifically, and he recently started uh, an organization to get uh, blind and visually impaired skiers involved uh, in backcountry skiing and uh, has quite a trip planned for 2021 for a very select group of blind skiers. So let's dive into episode 27. Alright, so my guest on this episode of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast uh, is a gentleman by the name of Tyson Reddy, uh, who is with Braille Mountain Initiative in uh, Canada. Tyson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me
0: absolutely really excited about this and like i told you before we started uh we haven't done a whole lot of winter sports on the podcast so really interested in diving into some backcountry skiing here
1: yeah sounds great happy to uh happy
0: to take part sure thing so tyson uh first off if you could just introduce yourself uh talk to me about where you were born where you grew up your formative years all that good stuff
1: so i'm i'm currently 29 years old um was born in southern alberta and uh, I've I've lived all my life basically between southern Alberta and, uh, and southern BC. Did a lot of winter sports growing up, as you know most Canadians would. Um, played hockey quite a bit as a kid, and um, and skiing as well. And then there came a point in time when, you know, you really don't have time for both, and, and so I chose uh, skiing, and and went from there. And um, I worked as a backcountry ski guide. And then in the summer of 2019, the same thing then happened with my left eye. Um, so at that point, I was, um, I was certainly legally blind. Um, and then there was some natural vision recovery afterward. Um, and basically what my vision looks like at the moment is I have no central vision, um, but I do still have some remaining peripheral vision. It's just fairly limited in its, in its visual acuity, and I don't quite see the entire color spectrum and... So yeah, no, not not completely blind, but uh, and so that um, you know that didn't leave me with enough vision to um, basically to to maintain the course I was on. Uh, I was no longer able to work as a backcountry ski guide. Um, at that time, I had been working for a heli skiing operation called Great Canadian Heli Skiing, and then in the summers, I worked as a welder um, in northern Alberta in the oil and gas industry. Uh, and then I also did some summer guiding as well. I worked for a company that does ATV tours in the summer um, in the mountains here surrounding uh, Invermere, and that's where I
0: currently live. Gotcha. I see. And then just briefly going back to your visual impairment, so it sounds like it was a pretty quick, you know, change in your life. And I'm curious, how did you kind of handle that, you know, from a mental standpoint? And what were you kind of, what was kind of going through your mind when that that you know change was really starting?
1: Yeah, it's it's very quick for sure, um, and that's pretty typical of Leber's hereditary optic neuropathy. And in line with that, it, it takes quite a while to get a diagnosis because it is a very uncommon um, form of blindness. Um, you know, so initially when I first lost my vision in my right eye, I actually wasn't all that concerned. Um, hmm. You know, the way the diagnosis came about is that I was told that you know it, it was unlikely that. Um, Levers wasn't wasn't the first diagnosis to begin with and they had said that it was unlikely that something like this was going to happen to my left eye and they had said it was likely a form of optic neuritis. So I, I continued to work that winter, the 2018-2019 winter, um, and little to no issues there. There's kind of a, a brief adjustment period while you figure out vision with one eye and then obviously a very different scenario once you lose vision in the other eye. So at that point it became a very big deal. It was, you know, very concerning and it was a an absolutely massive, massive adjustment to go from, you know, driving and, and being independent, you know, traveling all over uh, British Columbia and Alberta for work to, you know, losing that level of independence. Um, so yeah, it was it was a challenge for sure. And um, I recall my neuro ophthalmologist saying to me that, oh, well, you know, the first the first six months are going to be really challenging, but it'll get better from there. And, and I remember thinking, like, you know, the first six months are going to be challenging. Like, if this is permanent, this is my whole life, is going to be challenging. Right. But, um, you know, to, to some extent, I, I think she was right. Um, you know, after hmm. the six months, things do get easier. You learn different ways to do things, um, you know, and, and most importantly, you know, find a way to, to, get us, to get kind of back on track, so to speak, get back involved in the things I used to be involved in. You know, it's, it's different, obviously. I'm never going to fill the same role in the avalanche industry and in the backcountry skiing industry as I did, but I've come up with a way to, you know, create that opportunity
0: for myself. Exactly. So I am curious just if you could talk a little more about, you know, the adjustment and as far as orientation mobility, whether you, you know, use a cane, uh, you know, as far as assistive technology, what kind of things did you kind of get into?
1: Yeah, I actually, I don't use a cane. Had my vision stayed the way it was at its worst. I I absolutely would have needed that. But now that remaining peripheral vision that I have is enough that I can walk around without bumping into things. And and that was a huge adjustment. It it really takes a long time just to kind of retrain your brain to, uh, to, you know, track objects around you and and take
0: in your surroundings using only that peripheral radar. Um, You know, the, the tendency is to
1: use your central vision to focus in on things and your peripheral is just to sort of, um, maintain, um, you know, situa- situational awareness, sorry. So it, it is challenging to make that transition to only using that vision, um, but I've done that, and, and that allows me to walk around without a cane, but I don't have the visual acuity in my peripheral vision to, you know, use a smartphone or a computer with a screen reader, so I use VoiceOver on the phone, and, uh, you know, occasionally use apps like Seeing AI and, uh, and Be My Eyes, and then on the computer I use uh, JAWS, And, um, I actually have an, uh, an OR cam that was bought for me by the Canadian Ski Guide Association, which is the professional organization that I was, a or still am a member of as a backcountry ski guide. And that's been a really amazing piece of technology that definitely, um, has really helped me, you know, get back some independence. Um, you know, I can grocery shop independently and things like that with that device quite easily.
0: Sure. And and, and so I I did use a little bit of rehabilitation services from the
1: Canadian National Institute for the Blind to get some of this stuff uh, sorted out. And for the JAWS software, I did a bunch of sort of virtual learning with uh, a company called Canadian Assistive Technology out of Vancouver. And they're amazing. I have any questions at all with JAWS, I fire them off an email. And, uh, you know, and I get great step-by-step instructions on how to do whatever task, like,
0: you know, typically within a, within a few minutes the response time is incredible. That's great and like you were saying before about that the OrCam device that's awesome that they would actually provide that for you and you know just all the benefits I've heard so many great things about that.
1: Yeah yeah it was incredible I was just having a conversation with the um, one of the members of the board of that association and they asked me oh you know what are different things out there that could help you you know help you with this adjustment and help you with life as a visually impaired person and You know, at the time, I I just kind of viewed it as a casual conversation. I just thought he was curious. I didn't know, you know, he certainly didn't give any indication that they were looking at purchasing these things. I just said, oh, yeah, there's this device up there called Cam," and I was talking about all the things it was, you know, it does. He said, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. What do you think something like that costs? I told him what, I, you know, the info I'd gotten from the CNIB on. He said, wow, you know, pretty expensive. Well, anyway, you know, interesting thing for sure. And uh, next week, check arrived in the mail with uh, a letter from the association, explaining why they thought it was valuable to to make that purchase on my behalf and raise the funds associated and blah 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 and yeah
0: it was uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible nice very cool so then in terms of uh, sports and i guess we could talk you know specifically about skiing um, so it sounds like you were pretty young when you actually started skiing right
1: yeah i would have been probably 3 or 4 years old
0: Gotcha. And what uh, what was kind of your first? Was it like downhill, cross country, backcountry? What did you kind of get into initially? Uh
1: downhill skiing for sure. Um and uh and yeah, downhill skiing was a big big thing in the family for quite a few years. Um and then uh you know, started getting into backcountry skiing with some friends in sort of my late teens and then, you know, high school came about. Or high school finished story, and then at that point I had to think about you know what I was going to do with my life and I thought man if I could if I could make a living <laughs> going skiing that would be that would be the thing to do oh yeah um, and, and actually my dad took me heli skiing when I was uh, for my 18th birthday and in speaking with the guide that took us out for the day I kind of figured this is this is the job I want so um, so went from there started pursuing a career as a backcountry ski guide and um, you know and like I said that's kind of been That's that's really kind of been the the focal point of my my adult life is backcountry skiing.
0: Sure. Very cool. And then as far as uh, the Braille Mountain Initiative, I'm curious, how did you, you know, what inspired you to start that up? How did you get involved in that?
1: Well, basically, you know, after I lost my vision, it was, um, you know, it was clear that I didn't have enough vision to, you know, fill the role that I had at Great Canadian Heli Skiing. However, I still thought, you know, there's got to be a way to use this, you know, this knowledge base, this, um you know, this experience and and expertise, so to speak, in in some way, and so the adaptive sports world came to mind, I thought, well, you know, there's, I obviously know there's adaptive sports programs at at most ski resorts, taking blind people skiing and, and other members of the disability community, and I thought, well, there's, maybe there's something there, right, maybe there is a backcountry skiing program for the blind or for other members of the disability community, so I started looking into that. Uh, very quickly, I realized there were none, and in some of the adaptive sports program I had talked to, you know, they thought it was interesting, but they, they viewed some some challenges in, in making something like that happen, and they, they basically weren't prepared to take it on, um, and so I thought, well, this this could be it, you know, this is a way for me to be still involved in the industry, is, um, you know, I could, I could create something like this, and, uh, and it basically went from there. I had continued skiing in the backcountry as a blind person with my friends, and, um, and you know there was a particular day where i just thought like yeah this is this would be great to share this experience with with other visually impaired people and the
0: opportunities didn't exist so uh you know just tried to uh create them myself wow very cool and so you do have a, is it a 501c3 or is it a you know a formal nonprofit um yeah so um, the the
1: 501c3—that's that's an American designation—but it, uh, sure. it is a similar thing up here in Canada. Um, it's a federally registered nonprofit, and uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very legitimate. And um, we've got a number of participants signed up, ready to go. We are in the process of still doing a lot of fundraising to make our first trip um, to make our first trip go ahead. But um, we've got a backcountry lodge on board called Sorcerer Lodge that's very happy to support us, and they've sold us a week at their lodge for um, well under cost, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Oh, wow. Um, and we've gotten some, some sponsorship from a few small companies uh, in the area here, uh, providing us with some amount of funds and equipment and things like that. So. Things are certainly headed in the right direction. You know, the, the participants we've got, it's a small number of participants, but people that are really excited about the opportunity to try the sport, people that are in good uh, good physical shape, great skiers, people that have really searched for this opportunity in the past
0: and just hasn't been there. So this has been um, something that they're really excited about as well. Exactly. That's great. And then in terms of uh, you know the adaptations of skiing as a blind individual, specifically backcountry skiing, uh, if you could just explain, you know, what what kind of strategies or techniques or how does someone actually go about doing that? How are they guided and everything?
1: Yeah, so at the resort, there's a number of different techniques that I, I don't think we'll actually have to apply in the backcountry. One of the great things about this program is we're going to be able to provide a sense of independence that um, is not really possible in a resort environment. In a resort environment, you're always going to have um limitations in how independently you can ski as a blind person. There will always be that variable hazard of other skiers. So sure. out in the backcountry, you know, this this lodge that we're going to is accessible only by a helicopter. It's a oh, massive wow. amount of terrain with nobody around. So we can completely remove that variable hazard of other skiers. So some of the techniques that you have to use at a resort, um, we likely won't have to use because we'll be we'll be the hazard we managing will be quite different. Um, Hoping to provide people with a very independent skiing experience. So basically, what what backcountry skiing looks for me, and how I'm hoping it's going to look for the others involved, is I'll use I'll be very closely managed when uh, when I'm in highly variable terrain with lots of natural obstacles. So, you know, lower elevations where there's lots of trees. line where the hazards are different you know the goal is to find a place where i can just ski where you know someone can basically say yeah there's you know there's nothing for three four hundred meters whatever it is and they can just ski ahead and make a bit of noise and i'll just meet up with them somewhere at the bottom and i no longer need that guidance or management and can just be you know skiing independently is, you know almost as though i don't have a visual impairment and so that's something that's very different than the resort environment uh, you're just not going to find that at a ski hill It's just not going to be a possibility but that's something that we can provide out in the backcountry and that's that's a big part of what this trip's about is actually reducing the amount of adaptation that is required to participate
0: right and that is awesome that you have so much customization and like you said can really set it up for you know for blind skiers and flexibility that you normally wouldn't have
1: yeah exactly like like i said it's it's a massive amount of terrain that's accessible from this lodge it's only us out there so yeah we we really have a Uh, an amazing ability to provide independence and and we, we plan on running the program you know as close as possible to what a tour like this would look like with all sighted skiers that's the experience we're we're aiming to provide is you know is just a backcountry skiing experience not necessarily a blind backcountry skiing experience if that makes any sense
0: it just so happens that they are blind right i see and then as far as interest, you know, from, from blind individuals in your program and in this trip and everything, uh, talk to me about just, you know, generally speaking, what kind of backgrounds are, are these individuals and is it, you know, quite a, a big age range and
1: um, yeah, it is actually, uh, one of the participants is in his fifties. Another is about I think he's 20 years old. I think that's the youngest person in the in the group. So, yeah, very diverse in terms of age range, very diverse in terms of uh, visual impairment. Um, one of the people that's going to come on the program um, has Leber's congenital amaurosis. So as, as far as I understand about that condition, that, that basically means that all he can do is perceive light and has been that way since birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so very limited in his vision. And then one participant has enough, I, my understanding is he has enough vision to use you know, screen magnifiers and stuff like that. Um, So obviously some, you know, much more usable vision in in his case. And then, you know, then the other two are are somewhere in the middle there. And then myself, I'm somewhere in the middle there. So uh, fairly diverse there. Um, But a few things they definitely have in common. These are all people that... You know, skiing is a focal point of their life. It's something they're very passionate about, something they've all done from a very young age. Two of them have
0: participated in the Paralympics as skiers. Oh, wow.
1: Um, And then another has in downhill skiing. And then another competed in a national competition here in Canada um, and at some point I believe intends on on uh, ideally competing in the Paralympics as well So skiing is you know these are people skiing is is definitely a focal point of their life um, And then all in great shape because what we're doing is a lot of people Believe what we're doing is heli skiing, but that's not the case the helicopter is actually just to access the terrain the Helicopter will drop us off at the start of the week leave us at the lodge you will know, come back and get us at the end of the week um, So every morning when we wake up from this lodge, we are hiking up and out from the lodge to get to where we are going to ski, so everything we ski, we had to hike to the top of. So these are all hmm. the people that are in that are in great physical shape. That's something they all have to have in common, and they certainly do. They're people that are very physically fit um, and very committed to taking on this challenge.
0: Exactly. And, uh, is it primarily then Canadian skiers that you're targeting, or would you be open to you know people from other countries at some point down the road?
1: Well, we do actually have one participant this year that is from the states.
0: And she is going to be. She's already in the country. She's a student of a university here. So
1: other than that, we we've only been able to accept Canadians due to travel restrictions. Um, sure. the, the program is going to take place in early April. However, you know there is definitely some uncertainty around whether or not the border will be open for uh, for non essential travel. So we've we've basically just stuck to those that are. Definitely going to be on this side of the border um, in April, but in the future, I would absolutely like to be able to expand this program to uh, to any nationality. Um, I think it's an amazing program that blind skiers from all over the world would uh, would enjoy and, and really benefit from. Um, so once we're once we're past the pandemic, then yeah, of course, we'd like to open this up. And we also have a very you know small number of participants for this year, both due to COVID um, and due to you know just trying to pick a reasonable starting point. This is a very quite high um, but hopefully as things progress we can bring those costs down and then uh, you know we can expand the
0: number of participants on each course as well or each trip sorry sure sure very cool and I'm curious what would you say just personally for you what do you enjoy most about backcountry skiing you know actually putting on the skis getting out there on the snow you know just in, in that environment what, uh, what kind of goes through your mind when you're actually out there
1: uh, a big thing independence you know i previously described that you know it's it's a level of independence that just isn't going to realistically exist in the remote environment but it's a level of independence that doesn't always exist for blind or visually impaired people in other aspects of their life whereas uh yeah i just i just feel as as independent as i think i'm gonna get
0: um when i'm out (laughs) in the mountains backcountry skiing you know wide open alpine terrain
1: and just just going skiing it's a it's a way to to some extent it's a way to forget about your visual impairment.
0: Right, that's so well said. And, and, and
1: backcountry skiing in particular from from other aspects of skiing, it's just the possibilities. Um, yeah, like I mean, if there's snow sticking to it, you can get out there and go ski it.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I, I can certainly relate as a beat baseball player myself, just being out there on the field with other blind and visually impaired people and kind of having that level playing field and it's, like you said, it's it's such a unique opportunity and, and such a different environment than what, you know, we're normally used to as individuals with disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Just to uh, to wrap up here, as far as contact info, if anyone is interested in learning more about your organization, I know you do have a website and a Facebook page if you want to mention those.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the website is BrailleMountainInitiative.com. Um, the Facebook page is just called Braille Mountain Initiative and our email address is Initiative at outlook.com and absolutely we will be you know looking for interest in future trips and ideally at some point we'd like to expand this program to not just backcountry skiing but other backcountry mountain sports um climbing mountaineering things like that so i, I definitely um, would encourage any blind individual that has an interest in these sports to reach out and you know ask some questions get some information and if anybody is listening and has an interest in, uh, you know, making donations or providing sponsorship, things like that, we collect those through our website as well. And I imagine there's probably some people just have general questions about how backcountry skiing, you know, can work for a blind person. And I'm more than happy to,
0: to answer any questions. So yeah, feel free to reach out to that email address. Cool. Alrighty. And I'll definitely include links. Uh, you know, it's all that information in the show notes as well for everyone. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, again, uh, we've been speaking with Tyson Reddy of uh, Braille Mountain Initiative. And uh, Tyson, just wants to thank you so much for joining us here on Eyes Free Sports.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash Sports and on Twitter at Eyes Free Sports.